Wow. Thanks for the prayer, dog. Heart is very blessed right now. <laughs> but I kid you not, the why, reason why I'm giggling so much, I had a dream last night where dog prayed for me. I was in the service and he prayed for my marriage in my dream. So I woke up thinking, what a bizarre dream. And then he kind of did it. So, amen. It's a prophetic dream, I guess, right? <laughs> wow, who does that? Wow, awesome. <laughs> Only dog will pray that way, but thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Let it be so. Amen. Uh, my name is Pastor Myung Choi. I'm one of the pastors in New Philadelphia Church. I'm one of the uh, six preaching pastors in New Philly. Our lead pastors, Pastor Christian and Pastor Erin, are away on mission trip. They are currently in Phil- Phil- Philippines, not Philadelphia. <laughs> they're in the Philippines, and they're preaching the word of God and leading revival services there. So you get to have me. Praise the Lord. Yes, um, uh, yeah, I came to this church in 2005 as a 18-years-old uh, college student, freshman, as a non-believer, and then I got saved on my 19th birthday, uh, only a couple months, no, a couple weeks later, I think, and then I grew in this church, so this is the first church that I've ever attended, so this is my home, truly spiritual home, New Philly. Back then it was called JSCM. And then I grew, I went on several mission trips. In 2009, I became one of the intern pastors in New Philly. One of the first batch, me and Marcus, Pastor Marcus at Itaewon. And then 2000, so I graduated seminary, 9, 10, 11. 2012, I became the executive pastor of New Philly. And 2013, now I have a fancier title. It's promotion. It's called... My title is called, I still have to read it, it's too long. Executive Director of Community Life and Community Pastor at Hillside Campus. That's my title, okay? <laughs> in case you're wondering, uh, that's my title. So my goal, my role, what I do in this church is to turn strangers into sons. So that's my uh, goal and what I do in this church. That's the reason why I'm devoting all my time, all my youth into this church. Because what I want to see is strangers coming in like I was one of them. Strangers coming in and then I desire to see them becoming sons. Sons of God and also sons of this house, right? So that's what I do. So I dearly love each and every one of you. I don't know. I feel so emotional today. Call to worship. I'm so proud that I didn't cry all out. But uh, um, so bear with me. I'm a little emotional today, but I mean, God is emotional, God. Amen. So it's not a bad thing, but I'm just really overwhelmed with his goodness. So yeah, I oversee all the membership. I oversee all the newcomer welcoming ministry. I oversee membership classes and uh, retreats, uh, picnics that's going to come, uh, exploring Christianity class that's going to start. Uh, we're thinking about it still. And I keep members accountable in their ties and attendance in all these different ways. I'm here to serve you. And it's a lot of work, to be honest. I oversee sons from afar, intercontinental CCPs and regular CCPs. And it's kind of endless. It's a lot of work, PC. It's a lot. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> well, 
I mean, yeah, it is a lot of work, but I'm gladly taking this position because I see a strong vision in it. And I really see that God is truly bringing in the lost, bringing in the ones that are jaded by church in the past, the ones that are orphans, slaves, and strangers is coming in. And it's such a big joy to see them really becoming saved and becoming sons. And it's just incredible work that God is doing. So, I mean, how many of our leaders are sitting here? All leaders, raise your hands. How many of you are at the beginning stranger to this church? All of you, right? It better be all of you. <laughs> you know, we all came in on our own, you know, knowing a few people, but see where we are right now. And that's exactly the ministry that we're reproducing to other people. So it's a beautiful ministry, amen? amen. Yeah, so just wanted to begin with a short introduction of mine, and we're going to jump into the word. Uh, I am doing, currently doing a sermon series on Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, a letter that Apostle Paul wrote. So why don't we turn there? Ephesians chapter 4. It's toward the end of the New Testament, right after Galatians, right before the Philippians. Ephesians chapter 4. Before we read the word for today, I just want to give you a brief background of this word. So this letter, this, these books are actually letters that apostles wrote to all these churches. So this particular book of Ephesians was written in AD 62, written by Apostle Paul. And then it was known to be circulated at the church of Ephesus and also other churches in minor Asia, right? And then um, Apostle Paul at this time was quite old. He was rather fenced in age and he was kind of like a grandpa under the imprisonment of Roman Empire. So he was writing these letters in a prison, right? And then he's addressing to all these Gentile believers because Apostle Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles, right? So God has chosen him to do that mission to the Gentiles. And then he's writing to all these people that used to be just Greek normal people now became Christians, right? So that's a brief background. And you got to think like this. He's talking to an immature, a bunch of immature Christians. He's talking to new converts. He's talking to a Gentile believers. You guys got that? So he's talking about, he wrote about in the previous chapter, salvation, and how it's by faith and by grace alone that you are saved, not by anything else, not by works, not by anything, and how how them, the Gentiles and the Jews are one. The Israelites and you are now integrated as one, right? He talks about how salvation works. So that's why, because he's writing to all these new believers, he's laying down these foundations. And starting from chapter 4, what he attempts to do is to lay down specific introductions, instructions of how they are all to live, right? So do this and do that. This is what it means to walk with Christ. So we're going to see what's following from this point on is specific uh, words that Apostle Paul gives to them regarding their daily life. You guys with me? I was going to preach from verse 1 to 16. However, as I was doing studies and in-depth like word studies and stuff, I was stuck at verse 2. So today we are looking at verse 1 and verse 2. Hallelujah. <laughs> 
it kind of ends awkwardly, but there's a lot of meat in these verses, so we gotta go slow. I'm gonna take my time. It might take my entire year to finish this book, but I'm okay with it. We're gonna really chew on what Apostle Paul is talking and really delivering to the church. So two verses. Let's read it together. We can do it in unison. For, uh, chapter four, verse one and two. One, two, three, go. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Yes, it ends with a comma. I'm sorry about that. But the following verses, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna handle them, uh, in my next sermon, whenever that could be. It could be a hillside, it could be a fire fire, or it could be a seaside, but it will be on podcast so you guys can catch it, right? So verse 1, it says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Everyone say, worthy of the calling. You see, we pray this a lot, you know, walk in a manner worthy of the calling, worthy of the gospel, worthy of Christ. You know, when we pray, we pray out these words, but what does it really mean to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel? You know, I really like this verb, to walk. In New Testament, if you notice, uh, instead of to live, a lot of times they, they say to walk, walk with Christ, walk in the spirit. And instead of saying, live in the spirit, and live with, you know, Christ. It's more like an active verb, you know? I really like the image of, like, me walking with Christ. Like, literally taking a stroll with Christ, like, walking with Him. Cause, like, it gives you, it makes you feel like you're on the move, you know, you're going somewhere, you know? You're on progress. And I really like how active this verb is to walk. And also, it refers to, it generally refers to how you live da- your daily life, daily conduct. It's talk about, it's talking about your daily life. Walk with Christ. You know, we often ask each other, how's your walk with the Lord? You know, how's your walk? How are you walking with the Lord today, everyone? Oh, of course, smiles. That's good. All right. <laughs> you know, and then it moves on to say, worthy of the calling. Calling here, it's not talking about vocation. It's not talking about your job or career. But calling here refers to God's sovereign call to salvation. So it's talking about how God has called you to be saved. But then salvation, that word itself is huge word. We got to really unpack it as well. But he's talking about worthy of the calling, which is worthy of salvation that you received. So for me to kind of paraphrase it, you know, worthy, uh, it, it oftentimes gets mistaken and people kind of misunderstand uh, this verse and think that I got to be worthy. You know, I got to try harder. I got to really, you know, like do better to be worthy of the gospel kind of understanding. But that's not Apostle Paul, what he's trying to say. For me to paraphrase it, it's like this. Walk in a manner that matches who you already are in Christ. Walk in a manner that matches who you are, who you are really in your identity because of the gospel. The matching concept, that's really, really key. And for example, like for me to say, you know, we have Pastor Emily soon in the house. And you know, she used to do pageants in Seattle, right? Am I right? Right? So Pastor Emily is beautiful. And then she used to be in the pageant world. And then, you know, the you guys all know what it is, right? Miss... 
Miss Seafair, were you Miss Seafair, right? See, I've been stalking you, girl. Uh, so <laughs> Miss Seafair and like Miss Seattle and things like that. And in Korea, we have the same thing, Miss Seoul, Miss Busan, you know, all that. So let's say Pastor Emily became Miss Seoul, let's say, okay? Oh, Miss Seoul, Emily soon, you know, praise the Lord. And it's like telling her, it's telling her, hey, you got to walk in a manner worthy of the crown on your head. It's kind of telling her, it's, it's, we're not telling her to be more beautiful. We're not telling her to be something, but that's who you are. The crown belongs to you. So match like your lifestyle to that. Live like Miss Soul. That's what Apostle Paul is simply addressing to the church. Walk in a manner that matches your title, your position. You are already, so live up to that. Not to put pressure on us, but I'm going to talk about it soon, but there is grace that kicks in. And Paul is urging his readers to be everything the Lord desires them to be, and also everything that the Lord empowered them to be. The empowering concept here, that's what takes away all the pressure on our shoulders. So he says, live out what you already have become through the gospel in Christ. And I'm going to give you the strength. I'm going to empower you. I will give you the grace for you to be and walk that way. You know, I mean, if you really think about the context of this passage, the church of Ephesus was known for Greek goddess worship. So there was this huge temple, and I believe that's still there. It's one of the seven wonders of ancient world or something like that. They really used to worship this god, Artemis. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think she's one of the goddesses that represent beauty or something like that. Anyways, the Greek goddess and then the people there in the church of Ephesus, because they used to be part of that culture, and now they have become Christians. They're kind of torn in between two lifestyles that they had, right? And then Apostle Paul is saying, hey, live in the manner worthy of the gospel. You know, you are already saved, and according to the salvation, match your behavior, match your lifestyle to that already, to that thing that Jesus has already given to you. You guys following me? And I mean, I was thinking about my own life as I was reflecting on this passage and how they were struggling to come out of that old lifestyle. You know, how they used to worship this goddess and sexual immorality that was involved in it, all of that. And, you know, when I meet new people, what I like to ask is, what's the worst thing you've done in your life? I, I ask the question, right? It's not to make them feel guilty. I don't ask that to like a straight up newcomer, but the people that's been coming out, the people that are getting plugged in, and I would like to ask them just to see like, hey, what's like the worst thing you've ever done? Like tell me, you know, whatever you can share. And surprisingly, people open up because you know, Jesus really took care of the shame, you know, and then Jesus is turning that into something beautiful, into a testimony. So people, oftentimes they just share with me and also that I'm a pastor, so they trust me, right? So they, they share all these stories and I was thinking about what's the worst thing that I've done in my life? You know, I was a pretty good girl growing up. I, you know, living in Korea, I grew up in Korea, so I didn't have access to drugs and all that. So I missed out. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea how my lifestyle would have been if I lived in America. But I lived in Korea, so I didn't have access to any of that. No clubbing, not, not really, like, no drinking involved. And my life seemed a little boring in terms of, like, sin, right? But then, the more I... <laughs> 
the more I thought about like what's the worst thing I've done in my life and God kind of like convicted me in my heart there was idolatry it was idolatry but literally idol worship idol worship like k-pop celebrity idol worship and i am being completely serious here so if you want to laugh you can laugh at home but i'm being serious right now and god brought that conviction into my heart then when you've been giving your soul away to all these idols right you know h-o-t checks kids those koreans you know what i'm talking about uh g-o-d i mean even the name of the group is g-o-d like it's, it's small g-o-d but g-o-d man i was crazy about them TVXU, Dongbangshinggi, and all those, all those old school K-pop groups that some of you have no idea, but you can kind of just think of them like Justin Bieber, NSYNC, like Backstreet Boys, and all those boy groups that you know in America, you can just kind of automatic, you know, yeah, just translate for yourself, okay? So all those boy groups that I fell in love with, and God was just convicting my heart, like seriously, how that was, uh, how God was so, he was so jealous, and he was not okay with it. And I really used to worship them in a sense that I religiously followed them everywhere. On TV, on radio, and magazines. I bought every single magazine that featured them. A lot of money. That got me started stealing money from the piggy bank that my family owned. Um, I... <laughs> I seriously took out coins to buy the magazines just for that purpose, right? And I still have like hundreds of videotapes that I recorded, all their TV shows, all their radio, everything. Oh, some of you are really judging me right now. <laughs> A lot of brothers are, what is wrong with them? <laughs> but yeah, that's what I used to do, religiously following everything that they did, started stealing money, I already mentioned that, and I... You know, when we talk about the Lord, like we talk about gazing upon his beauty, right? I understand that concept more than anyone. Because <laughs> all I did at home was to open up the magazines and just gaze upon their beauty for hours. Turn on those videos and I would just spend hours just watching them all night, you know? And man, kid you not, my room was, my room, my parents gave me the biggest room in the apartment. My room was pretty big. And then all my four walls were covered with the posters. Like no room, not even an inch of room, like next to each other, like just all the posters that I accumulated over years. And then I ran out of the space, right? And I ended up like posting them up on my ceilings. So seriously, I'll wake up and the first thing that I see is them. <laughs> the last thing that I see before I fall asleep is them, right? Sometimes I will wake up and then it will like follow me. and like, <laughs> I'll be like sleeping on top of the poster. It will be my blanket and all the stupid stuff, right? Seriously, I was an idol worshiper. I was an idol worshiper. I think God's chuckling at me right now, but... Um, to him, it's a serious matter, like that my heart was completely stolen away. I mean, no matter how silly it sounds like, it's still idolatry. All my heart, all my soul, man, all my time and everything went into that. It, it sounds harmless, but it really was harmful. And um, I skipped classes. Man, so many stupid things. And I lived in Busan, but I traveled all the way to Seoul, lying to my parents and all that. Um, it's just a lot. Can I just share one more story? <laughs> one thing that I did. It's funny, all right? Um, 
I was listening to radio, and uh, back then I was a fan of Song Shikyang. He's one of the like singers in Korea, and then he said that I really appreciate my fans that study hard and also uh, like my music. And I took that to my heart. <laughs> I wrote it down on my heart, right? <laughs> and uh, starting from that day, man, I started picking up my studies. And um, I actually, the the following semester, I. I was the number one student in my school, entire school. Just because of that one sentence that he said, I seriously studied, and then I was the number one student in my entire school, and then I, I went to foreign language high school, so it was kind of like good school, but I never really did that well. But because of what he said, I, I did, and then I got my report card, and I, I took it, and I went to Seoul with it. I came all the way here. I actually met him. <laughs> I met him and I showed it to him, and he he put yeah he signed it for me. <laughs> and I laminated it. It's still in my house. <laughs> oh man! See this the how bad it was. I couldn't burn it yet. Okay, it's just one of those. Yeah, I repented though. <laughs> oh man! But see, when but I was like that from age nine, age nine to all the way through high school. That was my lifestyle. Like another group, another group, another. You know, like it was like that for like ten years. And when I met the Lord, man, everything changed. And I finally realized that none of them are gonna marry me. <laughs> Finally had the revelation, man, that they're not meant for me, right? <laughs> and when I got saved, I got delivered from the idolatry. And I'm saying it in a very casual way, but it really was a heartfelt repentance that I gave all my attention for more than a decade of my life to all these idols, all these images. And, you know, I really had to bring it back to the Lord. And I had to learn how to gaze upon His beauty, you know? And you know, if you think about, but that wasn't easy though. That changing that lifestyle overnight, it's, it's, it's never easy. It's like coming out of addiction. It's really hard. But think about how Ephesus, the Church of Ephesus, all these people are going through. They live like that all their lives, and then now that I believe in Christ, I gotta turn away from it. And I gotta completely change my lifestyle. And I'm sure all of you have some sort of that kind of testimony while you had to give up as you started following the Lord. Whether that's some kind of addiction, smoking, drugs, drinking, clubbing—I don't know what—but it could be like K-pop idol worship. Whatever that could be, there, there must have been something that you really had to leave behind to really follow the Lord with your whole heart. And people in this church, in the church of Ephesus, they were going through the same thing. The sexual immorality they were so used to. They had to leave it. Idol worship, they had to abandon that way. You know, the bitterness, unforgiveness, you know, depression, whatever that could be, they were all in the, on the way to really turn away from those sins. You know, like I said, people take this verse wrong, and they they believe that oh, I gotta be good so that I can attain the holiness. I gotta be better so that I can be righteous before God. Like I gotta try harder so that I can be someone worthy of the gospel. 
But what did I say? Those are not true. That's not what the intention behind this word. He already made you holy. He already made you righteous. He already called you a son. And he already gave you the grace for you to be able to walk it out. Match your daily life to your position, to your identity, to who you really are. And sometimes, you know, I mean, I'm a pastor, so I better be a strong Christian, right? (laughs) Sometimes there are those days that I don't live like a Christian. You guys agree with me? Do you guys have those days too? Like sometimes I spend the entire day and if I don't tell anyone, they would not know that I'm a Christian. Oh yeah. They would never know that I'm a pastor, <laughs> let alone, right? And sometimes we live like we have no Holy Spirit inside of us. Only three weeks ago, only three weeks ago, I was searching for a new house to move into. And um, little, like a week before that, I told my landlord, she's like 70 years old, she's 70 plus years old, she's a grandma. And I told my landlord that I'm going to move out, so we're searching for a new house and blah, blah, blah. We, I thought I really settled that issue with her, that I'm moving at the end of February and all that. And then all of a sudden she calls me and then says, your current house is signed out already, someone's going to move in, someone's going to move in like before I was planning on moving out. So that puts me in a situation of being homeless for like a week, right? And I was very surprised by the news and very, got very upset. And the people that were in the room are smiling. <laughs> Pastor John was there. I was in the office. And then I, I got the phone call from the landlord and I started yelling at her. Like, for real, for real. How many? Like, I was yelling on top of my lungs, and then she was yelling back, and then I got louder. <laughs> she got louder, and then we were all going crazy, right? How many here you can't do this to us, and blah, blah, blah. And she was, like, yelling at me. How dare you, young girl, yelling back at me, and blah, blah. You know, all the harmonies the grandmas do. And it was going on for a while, and then I hung up, and the conviction hit my heart. <laughs> I, I hung up on her, okay? I hung up on her. And, and then immediately after, like, conviction hit my heart. And it was like, no, why are you acting like you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you? Why are you acting like you don't know what grace means? Why are you acting like that way? Like, like that conviction really hit my heart strong. And then I had to call back. I had to really kill my pride. And then I called her up immediately. And then I said, how many, Grandma, I'm so sorry for yelling at you. That was my wrong. And I really had to apologize. And surprisingly, she took my apology and everything was good. And all the dates also worked out so that, like, it all worked out. It was just my lack of character that I did that, right? <laughs> well, what I, what I really learned from that was, man, sometimes we just live like we don't, we don't have him in us. Sometimes we act like we don't know the gospel. Like, sometimes we don't act like we, we are forgiven of so much, so much sin, you know? And I think... For the people in Ephesus, Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, it was a very challenging word for them. But also, man, for me, it's very challenging as well. Ah, sharing too many vulnerable stories right now. I'm, I'm sweating up here. But, uh, 
you know, why do we live like we don't have joy inside of us? Why do we act like we don't have peace inside of us when we really do have them? You know, don't live like someone that has the remaining effects of sin in you because it's already been taken care of. You are already free from sin and made holy. And stop living like an orphan. Stop living like a slave. Stop living like a sinner because you are not. God has made you a holy son before him. Believing in Jesus, it's a glorious first step. But what we got to do is receive the grace and walk it out. We got to walk it out. Turn to your neighbor, tell them, you got to walk it out. You got to walk it out. Yeah, so this, this one verse, man, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. It's not a light word. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We've got to really keep that in our mind. And verse 2, it moves on to say this. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And I'm going to really break this down for you guys. Humility, first of all. This word is not found in the Latino Greek language in vocabulary of, of Paul's day. So this is believed to be coined by Christians because there was no word that was available to describe something like this. Humility was a concept that didn't exist before. And it's believed that some people actually believe Paul coined this term, humility. So he's saying in all humility. You know, Philippians chapter 2, it talks about how Jesus humbled himself. It's the same word that that was used there. How Jesus came to this world. Now he humbled himself to take up the cross. The very word humble is used in here in all humility. The lowliness in mind. That's how the definition, the, the dictionary defines it. But it's kind of hard to grasp it, right? Lowliness in mind. And whenever I um, think about humility, the verse that comes to my mind is Psalm 8.4. You guys are really familiar to this verse as well. If you know the song, uh, Friend of God. You guys all know this song, Friend of God? You know, who am I that you are mindful of me? You know that that's from the Bible, right? <laughs> so it says, Psalm 8.4. It's actually a serious psalm, but then it's interesting how that dancing song took this lyrics into it but it says what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him and david wrote this psalm and then it's interesting because david knows that god cares for him and god is mindful of him he knows that the identity that god cares but also he at the same time understands how small he is in front of him and then this revelation is so powerful because he understands how big god is but also how small he is Right? This revelation that who am I that you care for me comes because he understands he's small. You know, the humility factor. It's really well described. But not to say that I beat myself down. I'm nothing. I'm like a little ant. It's not like that. He knows his worth, that God cares and God is mindful, but yet understands how small and little I am. Right? So I believe that's the true humility. And humility. But this first, though, what's tough is it's not talking about humility before God. I mean, that's got to be the foundation, but it's talking about humility before men. Humility when you are dealing with people, you know. 
lowering myself in order to other honors, lowering myself in order to exalt other people, you know? And gentleness, gentleness. Everyone say gentleness. gentleness. Everyone loves gentle people, right? Yes. I love people that are gentle. Gentleness, the synonym of it, I actually prefer this word, but other translations use this, meekness. Everyone say meekness. Meekness, by definition, it means mild-spirited. It sounds very spiritual. And it also means self-controlled. So mild-spirited, yet self-controlled. What does that mean? So I looked it up. Like some people, you know, write out really awesome entries, you know. So I found this on a Blue Letter Bible. It's an awesome tool for language studies. But uh, there was a little, like, part about meekness. And it says this meekness toward God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. And therefore, without disputing or resisting. In the Old Testament, the meek are those wholly relying on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. It stems from trusting God's goodness and control over, over the situation. I hope you guys got the keywords. Without disputing, without resisting, trusting and relying on his goodness, his strength to defend against injustice for us, and his goodness and control over the situation. That's the definition of meekness, right? And meekness is not the same as being passive or being naive. Not the same word. And let me explain. I mean, we do our part, we do our responsibilities, we pray, we do what we got to do. But at the end of the day, when the control is not in our hands anymore, what do you do? You just trust that the battle belongs to him and he's going to vindicate you at the end. That's how meekness really displays in our own lives. And do we struggle as we wait for the vindication? No, you wait in peace. And that's a huge sign that you have the meekness inside of you. That you say, I trust in you. I give it to you, God. You take it. I lay it down at the cross. But if you're still struggling in your heart, if you're still resisting in your heart, you didn't lay it down. You're lacking meekness in your heart. It's very, very hard thing for the choleric people to do. Like at New Philly, we, we have this thing called personality plus and choleric my definition is like people like PC. I mean, I don't have time to explain everything, but like Pastor Christian's a choleric. I'm a choleric, strong, like, um, yeah, goal-oriented, and we got to go, go do it, like go-getters, right? And we are the cholerics, and for the cholerics, this is like the hardest thing to train ourselves into, like just believing and just letting go of the control and just, just know that God's sovereign over the situation, Sometimes that's the hardest thing for us to do. And the thing with lack of meekness is that when you lack meekness in your heart, you end up becoming your own defender. And you don't have any room for God to be your defender. The problem with lack of meekness and being the go-getter is that you end up becoming your own provider that there's no room for God to work in. You're always restless providing for yourself, always restless defending yourself, explaining yourself that there's no room for God to come in and be the vindicator of our lives. 
So many, so many testimonies of this because I personally struggle with this. God's proven over and over again that I am your defender. I am your vindicator. And you got to have the meekness in your heart. One time, uh, I was working for this retreat uh, in 2009. That's when, right after I became the intern pastor, and then back then we didn't have a culture of honor, no submission, and that was really lacking in our church. It was kind of go with the flow kind of church, and we didn't really have the rank, and I was a newbie. I was younger than most of the congregation people, and all that was going on, and then I was part of a retreat committee that was organizing the retreat. It was me, one brother, and one sister. Pastor Christian put it together, right? And I was heading it up. I was the youngest, and it was my first time doing it. So this um, brother, let's call him Eastfall. <laughs> oh, don't make any guesses, okay? Let's say he's Eastfall. <laughs> but this this brother, <laughs> he's fine with me sharing, right? Right? Okay, it's Westfall. It was Westfall. But this brother, man, Westfall. <laughs> Back then, because we didn't have the culture of honor and submission, whenever I really tried to like do something, they would like team up on me, you know, and they would not support me. They, they just gave me a hard time, really, really hard time. <laughs> and um, I that was like the one of the most difficult times of my life, to be honest. I'm being serious, it's so serious. I just felt so unsupported, and I just felt like, man, maybe ministry is not for me. Maybe I shouldn't be a leader. All kinds of lies were coming in because of the struggles that was going on between among us three. And uh, I really had to forgive them and let it go, right? Anyway, the, the retreat was successful. Somehow things worked out. And then at the end, of the end of the retreat, I really just had to forgive and let it go and just shelve it, right? And I, Which I did. And then I just had to tell God, God, I did my best to reconcile. I did my best to honor them for their help. I did my best. And now, I mean, their heart is not in my hand. I can't control how they feel about me, right? So I just had to let it go. God, I let it go. I'm going to stop explaining myself. I'm going to stop apologizing because I feel so unsettled. You, you guys know what I'm saying? Sometimes you just feel the pressure to say sorry because you... You want it for yourself, you know? But I was like, I just got to let it go. I choose to let it go. And years later, guess what? This brother Eastfall came up to me. <laughs> and out of his own will, no, I never brought it up, never. He came up to me. He sincerely apologized. He's the real man. Right? He's like, did I? <laughs> he just said, did I? He did. He, he apologized to me. And that sister also on the committee, she also on her own, without talking to him, came up to me years later, okay, like three, four years later, apologized to me for not honoring my leadership. That's awesome, right? So that's like story of vindication that God, when we let things go, like he enters in, he defends us. He vindicates us. You don't have to always explain yourself. God does it for you. And moving on, patience. How many of you in this room need more patience in your life? Oh, yeah. Hands raised high. Mine's also up. The Greek word for patience, it literally means this, long-tempered. You know, 
so many of us, we say, oh, I really just can't handle, like, like, you know, guys with short temper, whatever, whatever, you know? Short temper, short temper, that's such a negative thing. And the, the Greek word, it literally means long-tempered. When someone is patient, it means it takes a long time to tempt a person. Long-tempered person, right? So patience also is one of the things that's mentioned by Paul. How we, are, how we ought to walk it out. Patience. And I also have an awesome example that I really want to share, which I will. Um, you know, I, I made an announcement earlier about the text forms. You guys, you know, I am in charge of putting together Korean text form. I got to go through the KM to do that. And I made some forms for you guys, but I'm only handling nine, 50. 50 forms. That's not too many. So it's about like 10 forms a week. But I was really grumbling about it because people will call me out of nowhere. People will tell me to fax it right now, you know, scan it and send it to me by tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. And I just felt like, man, why are you guys bugging me like this? You know, like you should have emailed me earlier. I was really grumbling in my heart. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I forgive you, Jamie. Oh my. Don't be sorry, okay? That was my wrong. Don't be sorry. That was my responsibility. So I'm not blaming you guys for that. <laughs> but I accept that. I take that apology. Thank you, Jamie. Um, but yeah, like I was very, very, I was grumbling in my heart, you know. Man, they should have emailed me earlier. Like, am I your personal assistant? And I was like, grumbling, grumbling. And it takes a long process, you know. I gotta call the KM lady up and then get the form, and it's a lot of stuff to take care of. And then it got me thinking: How many forms is she handling? Because there's only one financial admin at KM, and there's like a thousand people there, right? And then they all work. They're not foreigners. They all need form. Each, right? So I asked her, how many forms are you making per week? And she's like, oh, hundreds, right? And then she has a huge smile on her face. And I was like, how do you handle that? How do you handle with all the people, people nagging, people asking for it like within 30 minutes? How do you do that? And she says, oh, I just do it. And I, I, I was like, like, 집사님, like, how do you handle the people like nagging, you know? And she says, she said this. I'll translate. He says, 어차피 해야 되면 기쁨으로 해야죠. That's what she said. She said, if I have to do it anyways, I'll rather do it with joy. What a simple lesson that hit me to the core. If I have to do it anyways, whether crumbling or not, whether letting that steal my joy away or not, I have to do it anyways. Why not do it with joy? Why not do it with peace? Why not doing with servant's heart? Why not telling them, thanks for giving to a church? Or I don't know, what, what do I say? But like, why not with joy? And when Chipsanin told me that, I was like, I told her, Chipsanin, you're preaching to a pastor. Thank you. <laughs> you know, she's a deaconess, but she was preaching to my heart. I was like, wow, that's such a huge deal. Think about your daily life. How many things that you have to do anyways? And do you choose to do it grumbling or do you choose to do it with joy? Are we short-tempered or, or are we long-tempered? You know, so many times we are short-tempered, right? I am. But I learned to be long-tempered. Yeah, people bug me, but if I were to do it, I would do it for the Lord. I do it with patience. 
And um, lastly, it says this, to bear with one another. Everyone say, to bear with one another. Strong word, right? Bear with one another. Bear with, forbear, endure. It has a meaning of suffering in it. When dealing with people, there's a lot of suffering that goes into it too. There are some relationships that's just really difficult. They have some strife in it, you know? And not all relationships are easy, right? So to bear with one another in love. That's what Apostle Paul says. It means that showing all of this that we talked about, gentleness, meekness, and patience in a continuous way to others, in an unconditional manner. Show that to others, right? And I think this verse is really beautiful. Do you guys agree? That it's a good verse to memorize. And humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love. It's such a beautiful verse that we say amen to it, but... In this context, in this church of Ephesus, in this Greek culture, all these words that we just studied, they had all negative connotation. They were such bad things. So pretty much it was saying that, um, it was pretty much saying that, like, be the fool, be the loser, be the weak one. That's how it sounded like to the people that were receiving those letters. In that sense, I mean, think about your own life outside of the church. Inside of the church, we say amen to humility. We say amen to gentleness and meekness. But outside, isn't this a challenging word for you to receive? It really is. And especially for brothers and sisters from New York. Too bad. (laughs) You know, it's like, isn't it New Yorkers? Like, the first thing that I think of New Yorkers, I'm sorry, New Yorkers, don't be offended. I love you guys all. But it's sarcasm, like sarcasm. Like, they have those cutting, sarcastic jokes. And then it goes on and on and on, and then it never ends. And that's a love language, they say. <laughs> but they all need healing and deliverance afterwards, right? Man, too bad. But it's like, in that joke battle, you have to back down first. That's what this verse tells you to do. That you stop first. You know, you, you're tempted to get back, right? With something stronger, but you stop right there. In meekness, I stop first. But you're going to look like a loser, right? You're going to look like the weak one. But you stop first, and you win that way. Some New Yorkers are crying. <laughs> you know? It's a challenging word. Will you look like a loser in order to obey the word of God? That's the real challenge. Are you going to stop and suck it up? Are you going to kill your pride in order to obey the word of God? You will want to say something bad, you know? And I think meekness, especially gentleness, meekness, and all those things, it is a virtue that is quickly vanishing from the society. And not only in church, but if you look at the society, it's, it's rarely there. Do you ever find meekness in people? It's very hard to find. And I was, um, you know, the culture of society, it, it, you can really see how fast it's spreading, how affecting it is, like, in the youth. And uh, the other day, I was watching a documentary that's made in Korea. It's called Hakkyo e Nummer, which means tears of school. So it's just, it, this documentary features the classroom, how it's collapsing, how the students, the bullying culture, the abuse, it's, 
it's just out of control right now. And it's, it was talking about just Korean public schools and all these featured all, all these cases that were taken to the juvenile courts and stuff because of bullying and abuse and violence and all these things. And um, you know, they say that classroom is like a mini society. And what they do in the classroom really portrays how people are in the society. And I think that's very true. And in the classroom, you have to appear strong. If you show any signs of weakness or meekness or gentleness or patience, you're a loser in the classroom. Kids will look down on you. They will start abusing you. They will start telling you to buy cigarettes for you. They will start beating you down. If you show any sign of patience, meekness in that classroom, immediately you are a loser. And I also come from the background, and I was, I was not a loser, but I was a victim of the, the bullying case when I was in middle school. And because I didn't react, because I stayed calm and quiet and I shut my mouth, I didn't re react, all my kids, all my classmates started bullying me all the way more. Because I showed sign of weakness. So what do kids learn? I have to appear strong. I never back down. I, have to, I never have to lose. I have to be the stronger one. That's how they grow up, thinking. Think back to how you were, even in America, in, in wherever you grew up. That's the norm for the society, any society. If you don't want to be abused, you got to appear stronger than the person, Right? But I'm here to really tell you from the word of God that the real power lies in meekness. There's a real power when we walk in gentleness and meekness in our spirit. And from the documentary, what really stood out to me was the agony that the offenders actually had to go through. It's interesting, there's offender and there are victims, right? I and mean, then victims go through a lot too. I was one of the victims as well. But the real devastation afterwards, it really happens to the uh, offenders. The ones that bullied. The ones that abused other kids. Like the guilt, amount of guilt that they have to go through. And things that they have to unlearn to really walk into the society. There's so much that they have to go through. And also the parents of the offenders. Man, the stuff that they have to go through was even crazier because they are the ones that raise their children saying, I don't want you to come home, beat, beat up, so you go beat other kids. I'd rather see that. That's how Korean parents are, honestly. And then, but in their mind, it's, it's because they don't want to see their kids like being abused. So that's what they say, but they don't expect them to actually go do it. But when they actually find out that my kid you know, my kid is bullying other kids. My son beat the crap out of that boy. Like, my son broke the arm for that kid. Like, my son took away money from them. Like, the amount of damage that the parents had to go through, it was devastating, really. And then this show really does a good job of really portraying what they go through afterwards, you know. And the real power, I really believe, is found in gentle and meek spirit. And we are the ones that have to go to the society and show it to the world. Then with gentleness and meekness that we win. I look like a loser, but I'm actually winning. I mean, think about martyrs. 
how so many people lay down their lives for Christ. And I'm sure you guys heard about many testimonies of how they die. They don't die trembling, screaming. They don't die kicking and resisting. They die like a lamb. They die laying down their lives in peace and in joy, showing the glory on their faces. They don't die in panic. They die in peace, right? How they face death with the meekness, it's so much stronger. You see, someone that's very strong in this society, if you have them stand in front of death, in the face of death, they're going to panic. No matter who that is, president, no matter who that is, like a general, army guy, physically strong, I don't care, whoever that could be, if they don't have that meekness in their hearts, they're going to panic as they face death. But the ones that are meek in their spirit, trusting in God's goodness, trusting in his vindication, trusting, relying on God's strength and not their own, they're the only ones that will face even the situations like martyrdom in joy and peace. And who is out there to say that meekness is weak? You know, all these Dictionaries say that the word meekness, the best way to describe it is an animal on the way to be slaughtered, especially like sheep, like lamb. And on the way to be slaughtered, animals have the sixth sense. They know. A lot of times they know that they're on the way to death. Cows, I don't know. All these animals that's known for their meekness. On their way Knowing that they're on the way to death, they don't resist. They go just knowing that they're going to die, but they don't fight it. And the dictionaries were saying that that's the exact thing that Jesus demonstrated on the way to the cross. As he was captured by Roman soldiers, was he not strong enough? To kill those guys? No. Jesus has more than enough strength. But he didn't. He chose not to. He chose meekness. I know this is my father's will. Then I shall go. He he, He let them arrest him. Standing in front of, at the court. Was he not able to speak well? To defend himself? I'm sure he was. Well able to explain that he is a son of God and all of that. But Jesus chose not to. He stayed in his meekness, trusting that if this is my father's will, it's good. It's good for me. God's going to vindicate me. The father is with me. You see that? How strong the meekness is in Jesus' heart? On the way to the cross, same thing. Did he resist? Did he cry? Did he go all crazy? Did he lose his mind? No. He chose meekness. Because Jesus truly knew that the power in meekness. And later, if you think about why he chose that, Jesus understood the supernatural power in it. That when we 
choose to trust in his goodness and his power to vindicate, his power to turn everything around, we never really have to panic in front of anything. We really don't have to step out of joy or peace. But we can just stay in the gentle, patient, meek spirit, trusting in him. I just want to end with this one story. How in 2011, no, 10, not sure. Uh, I was going to go to Myanmar for a mission trip. And um, our brother Larry, um, he made every single member to write our will before we left, okay? So intense, right? So Myanmar is a closed country. And you got to know how intense Larry is, okay? <laughs> and then we were just all getting ready. And then one trainee comes up to us and then keeps out, hands out paper. And he says, everyone write your will. And if anything happens to you, we will give it to your parents or something like that, right? <laughs> so we write down the recipient and then write down everything. Like you want to leave, you know, whatever. You know, keep my MacBook to so-and-so. Like, <laughs> you know, keep all my clothes to so-and-so. I don't know. And I wrote that all down. And um, at the end, like, I was, like, so, like, bummed. Like, wow, like, things like that could happen to me, you know? But how am I, how do I want to face the end of my life? Whether that's martyrdom or not, whatever that could be, I, how do I want to face the most, most difficult situation in my life? And this verse came to me. Matthew 5, 5, it says, Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And my heart's confession was, in order to inherit Myanmar, no matter what it could be, I would choose meekness in my heart, God. And that was my will. And I'm sure that's burnt now, right? Did you burn it? Or did you give it back to me? Oh, you gave it back to me? Oh, man, I still remember it, though. At the end, I wrote a line to the boy that I liked. <laughs> so foolish. <laughs> to my crush. Did you know that I liked you? Or something like that, but so much foolishness. <laughs> However, you know, I want you to think about it. As we live this Christian life, we want to walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. We want to really walk it out. In everything that we face, difficulties in life, whether that could be death or persecution, I mean, we don't really face that here in our daily lives, but whatever that could be, what, how are you going to respond to it? How, are you, how do you want to respond to it? It's my prayer that today that we will really see the power of the patience, gentleness, meekness, and humility that Jesus perfectly demonstrated to us as he was taken to the cross and understand that there's true power in the meekness. Let me close in prayer. Father, today we take your word seriously to our hearts.
Father, it is our cry today that we want to live our lives in a manner that's worthy of your name, worthy of the gospel, worthy of the identities that we have received through Christ. So, Father, I pray that you will empower us to walk in humility, to walk in meekness, to walk in true meekness, God, and in that power. Father, give us patience as we bear with one another in love. Father, it's my prayer that that we don't just say amen to this inside of the church walls, but God, when we go to our workplaces, when we go, Father, meet our families, God, Father, it's our cry, God, that we will really walk in that spirit of meekness in any situation. Father, we pray even in the face of death, even in our difficulties, God. Father, we make our minds to give control to you and resist the temptation to defend ourselves and resist the temptation to provide for ourselves. But God, trust that the battle belongs to you and that you are going to vindicate us. And that you are going to turn everything for our good. Father, I pray for those who are going through some difficult times. Misunderstandings in relationships, God. Lord, I just pray that they will know through this word, God, that you are going to vindicate as they obey your word. So God, we receive Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 into our hearts. That we choose to be meek in our spirit, God. We choose to grow in our meekness and in the power of it, God. We shall inherit the land that you are going to give to us, God. Lord, I thank you that as your sons and daughters walk in that power of meekness, that you are going to inherit the earth to us. So, Father, I just release your blessing upon your people. God, transform us into your image. Let us meditate and think of how you were, God, even on the way to the cross. So, Father, we simply remember you. We, Father, desire to be like you more and more. So, Lord, I thank you for, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray.